1: I'm Kim Reynolds of dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, depth charts for Cal and Washington released kickoff at 730 Saturday. In addition, the Oregon State uh, game time has been released, and that game will be played on Saturday at 8 o'clock at Husky Stadium. No fans allowed, but Oregon State game, it always seems to be on on uh, Halloween, so uh you know, no game on Halloween this year, but the Cal Washington depth charts are released. Scott, just taking a look at that Cal depth chart. Anything jump out at you?
0: The Cal depth chart. Well, uh, they're not very big on at wide receiver. Um, I remember several years ago they had they had uh, quite a few big big guys on that wide receiver core, and right now their two starters, at least the listed starters, are uh, Nico Romigio who's 5'10", and Kakoa Crawford, who is 6'1", and 180 pounds. So both of these guys are not very big. There are a couple of bigger guys behind them, but I'll be real interested to see how many guys they run out there. It looks like they actually are running a fullback out there too. At least that's what he's listed as. Uh, Drew Schlegel, 5'11", 225, so when was the last time we saw a fullback outside of Stanford come in and and do some work? I think we might be seeing that from Washington this year, too.
1: And, and Scott, the thing that really jumps out at me is their running back. Chris Brown is a guy that Washington recruited heavily, a guy that they wanted. He's a workhorse. He's a big back at 6'1", 235. What do you remember about Washington and recruiting Chris Brown?
0: Um, I, if I remember correctly, you're catching me off guard a little bit on that, but uh, if I remember correctly, they did offer him or at least were recruiting him pretty heavily, but, uh, I think they went with, uh, what year is he? He's a junior, so that would, um, be more like Savan Ahmed's class, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I don't remember.
0: Yeah, so it, so, you know, they, they had their eyes set on a local guy and, um, I'm not remembering off the top of my head exactly his recruitment, but, I did remember the name when he was being recruited.
1: Chris, taking a look at their quarterback situation, Chase Garbers, the starter, but uh, the backup who started quite a bit for them as well. Devin Modster, the transfer from UCLA. Tell us a little bit about those two quarterbacks.
2: Well, I mean, it, it all starts with Garbers. I mean, he's a guy that it's not going to, you know, wow you with big intangibles. And, you know, he's not like – um you know, he's not like a Herbert type guy who's who's going to really go crazy running the ball or throwing the ball over the top. But he's so smart, and I thought that was what really um, worked well for them in the last couple of years when they beat Washington, is that they they haven't beaten themselves offensively. They haven't made mistakes, and that starts with the quarterback. You know, he's he's making good decisions all the time, and he and he's and he's making the right reads, and he's getting the ball to his playmakers. You know. Chris Brown, he had 80 yards against Washington last year, but it was Marcel Dancy who had the two big touchdown runs. So they, they know how to get to the ball to their playmakers. Um, and so we'll see we'll see what happens in terms of uh, how they mix it up, because, you know, Monster is a guy that they've used because Garbers was hurt last year a little bit. But so, so they, I mean, they arguably come in with the most experience of, of any uh, group in terms of quarterback in the entire Pac-12 and, and just running down the overall list, if you look at their offense and their defense and their two deeps, I, I listed like 23 guys that were either juniors or seniors. I mean, they have to be by far the most experienced group, uh, in the Pac 12. So when Washington goes to, to Berkeley on Saturday, they're going to be going up against a veteran group that, uh, you know, is probably not going to beat themselves. So Washington's going to have to go out and kind of take the game to them.
1: And Chris, the thing that jumps out on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, probably their best player, Cameron Bynum, had, did he opt out or declare for the draft Has decided to return? He's listed as a corner, six foot, 200-pound senior. Uh, do you remember whether he opted out or declared for the draft? It was one of the two.
2: I think he may have opted out, but I don't remember, honestly. But getting him back was, you know, it's as big for them at Cal as, as getting Elijah Molden back for Washington. I mean, he's he's the guy that stirs the drink back there, and, you know, they have another other guys like Josh Drayton and Elijah Hicks that have that are established guys back there. Uh, I noticed Trey Pastors in their two deeps, um, freshman safety who Washington offered, and he went to Cal. But I'm really uh, impressed by their size uh, in their front seven. I mean, you look at Coney Dang, you know, how many inside linebackers do you see that are 6'6", 250? I mean, that that's just really impressive. And, and the last year, you, you saw how well he moved. I mean, this is not a guy – who's just going to stand in the middle and, and eat people up and and take on uh, take on blockers inside. I mean, this guy's going to go sideline to sideline. So uh, that's super impressive. And then um, just overall, you know it's it's going to be a Justin Wilcox defense. You know they're going to be well-skilled, well-drilled, and uh, tough to beat.
1: Scott, when you take a look over uh, at number 48 on outside linebacker, Oren Patu, um, that's the kid for I can't remember – was from Rainier Beach. One of them was for O'Day, but uh, he's a freshman, 6'4", 230 on the Cal roster. What do you remember about Oren Patu? He's listed as the uh, backup outside linebacker.
0: Yeah, so yeah, he's from Rainier Beach, and, and uh, he was a guy who um, looked really, really good. I saw him against Eastside Catholic, and I also saw him against O'Day when, when uh, Rainier Beach was playing him, and he was just a force off the edge. He was really the only consistent guy for their defense who could constantly get into the backfield and make plays Peter Sermon was actually on the on the field the same you know standing next to me during the game and he was telling me uh, you know just that they were really excited to get him in their system and things like that so um, just a, a really good player and and he he if I remember correctly he moved up from Oregon to play him at Washington because I think he, his family got transferred up for a job or something like that and uh, now that he's down in the Bay Area, his younger brother, who's a pretty good quarterback prospect, he was at Rainer Beach. He transferred down to, did he go to Folsom? He went, he went to, oh no. Maybe, maybe it was Jay Sarah. Anyway, he, his brother transferred down there too. So, um, keep an eye on that. Uh, but, you know, very good, uh, player. He looks like he's, uh, the backup to their outside linebacker, Braxton. Is it Croto? Croto, uh yeah. that guy's 6'5 255 so they have some size at linebacker their defensive line is a little on the smaller side i, I mean you got two guys at 290 and one guy at 275 but your their linebackers are 250 255 and 230 so that's some pretty big and uh, 235 for for the other outside guys, so you know, I mean, they got some size at their linebacker spot.
1: Also, you take a look at the coaching staff. A lot of connections to Washington, connections to Chris Peters. A lot of names that are going to be familiar to a lot of fans. You know, starting with Justin Wilcox, the former coordinator at Washington. He's the head coach, offensive coordinator, and the quarterback coach, Bill Musgrave, the old quarterback out of Oregon State. Peter Sermon is the linebacker. Uh, excuse me, he's the uh, defensive coordinator and coaches the linebacker matchup with peter and his son jackson starting at linebacker for washington tim de is also co-defensive coordinator they've got uh angus mcclure who longtime offensive line coach at ucla one of the better recruiters in the conference marcus tuyasasopo is coaching the tight ends and uh defensive backs coach marcel yates so a lot of familiar names in that coaching staff chris
2: yeah. And, and Bill Musgrave, he prepped it, played his college ball at Oregon, not Oregon. Oregon.
1: Excuse me. That's right. Oregon.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, these are, these are all guys with huge Pac-12 pedigrees, all guys that anyone who follows Pac-12 football will instantly recognize. So yeah. So this is just another, uh, situation where Wilcox has put together a great staff. Um, it'll be interesting to see Musgrave's offense compared to, uh, what Bo Baldwin was doing, uh, his old OC. So, yeah, I mean, the, these these are all things that we're going to be looking forward to as, uh, a get ready for Saturday's game.
1: Anything jump out at you or any stories of any of those coaches, uh, Scott?
0: Well, I mean, just getting to know, uh, Coach Sermon, Coach Wilcox when they were here at the University of Washington. Obviously, Marcus was, was a guy that we knew a little bit about watching him as a player and everything like that. I didn't know Mar- Marcel Yates when he was, he was, co- he coached at UW, right?
1: No, uh, I think he was on.
0: Is it Arizona Boise State just Boise oh, State? Boise State, okay. And he was at Arizona too. before. Yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, but I didn't know. You know, I wouldn't say I knew these guys very well or anything like that. But I got to know Peter Sermon and and, and Justin Wilcox relatively well when they were up here, and I wish them luck, except for one game out of the year, pretty much. So, um, and I really like Justin Wilcox. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's a perfect. Uh, guy for being a head coach, he's he's got that steadfast, um, you know, doesn't seem to get too high, doesn't seem to get too low. Personality actually reminds me a lot of uh Chris Peterson and, and the way he does things and goes about things, and and uh, I think he's going to have nothing but success as long as he lands at Cal, or stays at Cal. The thing is, I don't think he's long for Cal. I think he's going to start getting some looks if he. Is able to take those guys to a to a conference title and maybe a uh, playoff berth, uh, college football playoff berth. Watch out, that guy could definitely get some look at looks at, at some bigger schools.
1: I hate to catch you guys off guard, but I'm trying to remember the uh, defensive back coach who left and had went to the NFL that uh, was at UW. Do you guys remember who that was?
0: Uh, when? Yep.
1: Just this past year. They lost it.
0: You're, yeah, talking about, love,
1: it, yeah, you're talking
2: about
1: who was at Cal? Yeah. You're talking about Gerald Co- Alexander. That's right. Yeah, Gerald
2: Alexander. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're 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 trying to drop clues, but you're being very cryptic about it, Kim.
1: Well, I wasn't being cryptic. I just
2: couldn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I couldn't tell if you were talking about a Washington guy or a UW guy. Well, or a Cal guy, but obviously he coached at both places. So.
1: Yeah, Gerald Ale- Alexander. He was a GA here at Washington and went to Cal and uh, was one of the better recruiters in the Pac-12 as well, Scott.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no he he's a guy that he's a guy that uh, easily if he wants to get back into the college ranks and and in the and come back to the West Coast, you know you could see if if you know if Will Harris continues to ascend, uh, if Terrence Brown continues to ascend, and there's an opening, uh, you could see Gerald Alexander moving in, you know, to a situation like I, I'm sure Washington would love to have a guy like that back. He was a, he's a really good fit for the program at both places, honestly.
1: You know, losing uh, Gerald Alexander, replacing him from Marcel Yates, I don't know how big of a drop-off that was for them because Marcel Yates was the defensive coordinator at Arizona and uh history with Chris Peterson and uh, as well. So uh, they seem to plug and play at that spot. But uh, Washington released, is it fair to call it a depth chart or did they just release a bunch of names, Chris?
2: No, I think it's fair to say they released their depth chart. I think it's also fair to say that um, they're you know, Jimmy Lake is playing fast and loose with people's heads, you know, especially when it comes to the quarterback. Um, you know, to be on- honest with you, I'd say 90% of that depth chart is probably very accurate. It's the 10% he doesn't want people to know about. And, and clearly, that's the 10% that everyone wants to talk about. So, uh, in that sense, he certainly got people's attention. But, uh, you know, and it's obviously something we're going to be continuing to talk about because we're talking about it now.
1: Taking a look at the depth chart that they released, and uh, let's just go ahead and start up front where Jackson Kirkland listed as uh, 6'7", 295. When he showed up here, Scott, he was probably closer to three thirty three forty, and he was a big dude, but he has really shed some weight, and just even looking at his face, he looks like a completely different guy.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. He's lots, a lot uh, more um, fit looking. He He looks like he's kind of grown into his body. And I i mean, he was a kid who really didn't start lifting seriously until he was a either a freshman or a sophomore in high school. And um, I mean, he couldn't he said he couldn't even bench a 100 pounds, I think when he first started. So, um, you know, this is a guy who's really worked on his body really worked on his strength and his fitness and everything like that. And We'll have to see. I, look, the coaches get paid a lot of money, and you know to make these decisions, and they they obviously have to know better than I do. But I've always been a big believer, and if you have a guy having a lot of success at a position, that he needs to be extraordinary. There needs to be extraordinary circumstances to move him. To a different spot um, because I think that makes your team a little bit weaker. It, even if he's really good at his other spot, if he's elite at another one, I don't know. So um, we'll see if this works. I'm a big believer, and I personally thought he and Wattenberg should have stayed at guard. I think he should have figured out a way to get the other guys in there. But Scott Huff, you know, I think he's earned enough earned enough uh, trust from people able to let him try and work this out and make sure it works the right way but yeah Jackson on a left tackle he looks the part now let's see if he can get out and get it done
1: interesting where they have uh, Troy Fautanu listed at left tackle I know he's a big time talent I know that they love him but um, if they were to go to the backup do you think it would be uh, Troy Fautanu or do you think they'd go ahead and put uh, Mateo Mele over there Mateo's listed as the backup center to Luke Wattenberg
0: are you asking me?
1: Either one of you. Okay.
0: Yeah, I, I think it would be, uh, I think Mele would probably be the, the first left tackle to come off if it was for any extended amount of time.
1: Yeah, and I know that they love Fautanu. I think he's going to be a great player. Uh, Melee's a year older. Fautanu's a redshirt uh, freshman, but uh, left guard. Uh, MJ, call me, Ulamu Ale, listed at six six three fifty five. is your starting left guard, Scott you know, um, or Chris, either one of you, um, didn't Banevalu play quite a bit last year at left guard? And they've got uh, Henry listed as the right guard. Is that a little bit of a surprise to see that? I thought those guys were flipped.
0: Well, um, actually, Bainavalu took over for Kirkland when he went down in the middle of the uh, Colorado game and started the last two games at right guard. Yeah. So, um, I know that they've had Bain kind of all over the place and playing in different spots. So, um, you know, he might have played a little bit of left guard. But I think last year, most of his reps were right guard.
1: Chris, you take a look at the, you know, those two guards listed at six six three fifty five and Henry Bain also listed at six six three thirty five. That's two big road graders uh, at, inside. You know, that's going to really help with the running game. Uh, tell me a little bit about those two guys.
2: Well, right, Umuale uh, or MJL uh, you know, six six three fifty five. This is this is his time. Um, he is a guy that played every game last year. Um, so even though people may not recognize him as a guy that was a real featured lineman, he is a guy that has some experience, you know, being in there. So you've got him in there, and you've got Nate Kalapa behind him, and Nate was playing, you know, he. I think he's a guy that could have bounced between left guard, left tackle. Um, he's another guy. I think because he has some left tackle experience, could be moved back there. When you talk about the battle behind Jackson Kirkland, you know, when you look at Matteo Mele, you look at Troy Faltano, um, you know, even look at a guy like Corey Luciano, who is getting some run and tackle as well. So they have guys there. But you know, just going back on the, on the Kirkland question about moving guys, and I think Scott made an excellent point about um, you know not trying to maybe overthink things and if a guy's playing well at one position, keep him there. I'm wondering how long um, Scott Huff wanted to maybe make this position change and that Jackson Kirkland was kind of stuck at right guard and doing a really, really good job but maybe couldn't make that transition to tackle because Trey Adams and Jared Hilbers were there and they weren't going anywhere anytime soon. So I'm wondering if this is a situation where he had always kind of envisioned Kirkland as a potential left tackle and had talked to him about it. I know that this was a position uh, switch that they wanted to make kind of right after the season was over. So um, this could have been in Huff's thinking all along in terms of the guard spots though. Oh, go ahead, Scott.
0: Oh, no. Well, I was going to say, I agree with you. I, I Scott Huff has made it very clear. We recruited him to play left cat tackle. There just wasn't a spot for him uh, yeah. for the first couple of years at the University of Washington. So, and, and by that, I totally get the move. I'm just, I just thought that he was a borderline all pack 12 guy. And I like the thought of maybe having a left tackle that's going to be out there for another couple years, rather than a guy, if he has a really good season, I mean, d- does anyone of the three of us believe that Kirkland returns for his senior year? Oh, I guess it'd be his redshirt junior year. Uh, next year do we believe he'd be back for 2021 and or 2022 if he does have a good year this year i don't i think
2: i think he could definitely be back for 2021 especially if he, he does see some success and it also i think based on the feedback that he might get from the nfl or third parties in terms of hey This was a fantastic move for you. We only got to see the seven games or eight games uh, uh, of what you're doing. We'd love to see more tape. We think you're scratching the surface. If you get a full 2021 under your belt, you know, is he a potential, is he potential first round guy? Is he, is he a guy that could make a Caleb McGarry type move? I think that's absolutely possible for him. I don't think that would happen if he just played the eight, seven or eight games for the 2020 season. So that's why I do feel like Huff sees that there's enough upside that hey, they're going to get they could get potentially 20 plus games out of him. Um I think that's why not only do they think it was a good move that way in the in the short term because they think he's the best guy available, but they also feel like they could get some value with him down the road and turn him into the kind of pro player that he projects to be just given his size and his intangibles.
0: I definitely that's I, well, I definitely think that's an interesting point, Chris, and and uh, it definitely plays into it. My personal opinion is if he has a good year, I think he's gone, but we'll see how it happens.
1: Yeah, I think he's gone, too. But, um, hey, Scott, I wanted to ask you about two guys that kind of jump out at me, um, the two offensive, um, well, actually, they've got him listed as a guard and a tackle, but two huge guys at a red shirt freshman is Nate Coleppo and Julius Bulow. If you were to, you know, uh, stand next to these guys, they're just big humans. They're big, big, big kids, real athletic. And I thought, you know, coming in, they were a little bit of projects who needed to grow into their bodies. It looks like that's happening. But, you know, I think the big question mark I had was, you know, with both of them, did they have the, the toughness and the dog in them and the nastiness to play? But, uh, they seem to be moving up the depth chart pretty well.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we take this thing as, just at face value, they're they're the backups at left guard for Nate Colepo and right guard for Julius Bulow. And, I mean, Julius Bulow is a huge human being. 6'8", 2, uh, 325, and then Colepo at 6'6", 330. And those are just big boys. And this is literally the biggest offensive line I can remember Washington ever having. Um, if you just look at, if you go down the numbers and everything, it's just, they're immense, immense guys. So, um, but yeah, it's great to see these guys succeeding. I have heard nothing but good things about them since their freshman season, when they were playing on scout team and how they worked and their work ethic and all those different things. And if you think about Nate Kalepo, it's really sad that his mom is not going to get to see him have success on the football field and get to see him run out there in the in his washington jersey ready to play a football game because she passed away from leukemia last year um like right around the holidays if i if i remember correctly so um just too bad about that but uh i know she'll be looking down on him and, and really excited to see him get in there and get some playing time with a big w on his helmet
1: taking a look at the tight end position washington is going to play two three tight ends quite a bit but uh Taking a look at the depth chart they released with KDOT and Jack Westover and Mark Redmond, I think the biggest surprise there and kind of a head scratcher. Where is, uh, where is um,
0: Devin spacing? Culp? Yeah,
1: you always get him and, uh, and uh, Kern mixed up. But where's
2: Devin Culp on the depth chart?
0: He's going to be at fullback. When they do use a fullback, he'll be the guy that comes in is my guess.
2: Well, I also think that, again, this is – we take we take the depth chart with a grain of salt, and to be honest, I think a lot of people would if if you gave them this depth chart at the beginning of like August, like the beginning of fall camp, they would have been like, yeah, a guy like Redmond comes in with a lot of fanfare. You could see him potentially winning a job, you know, knowing now that Jack Westover is on scholarship, that makes all the sense in the world because he's a guy that can play in line or out, like in the slot, for instance. He can be a guy that can be blocking in, in different types of situations, both you know as an extended lineman or out in a flat, you know, um, you know as a, as, a, as a potential receiver almost. Um, and then obviously Redmond comes in with a lot of fanfare. So th- this depth chart doesn't necessarily surprise me too much. Yeah, Culp's uh, exclusion, I guess that might raise some eyebrows a little bit too. But ultimately, yeah, th- you look at this and go, okay. I mean, if that's the three guys that they're going to roll with it's not surprising um you know again i think ultimately what's biggest surprise is that with enough scholarship guys in that room there's not some oars uh connected to this particular position and and also with the understanding that uh, the tight end's going to be a very important position in this offense
1: jack gary also missing from there so um we haven't had a chance to see him at all so it will be interesting and i don't know if either one of you know the question on this um are they put limitations on travel? I don't know how many guys you could travel with.
2: I don't, I think that, uh, from what I can remember, I think it's, it's still going to be, I mean, right around 70 to 74, if I remember correctly, even if they've opened it up a little bit, they're not going to let, you know, they're obviously not going to travel the whole world. Um, you know, guys, guys like, you know, Yerry and Mason West. I mean, I'd be surprised if they traveled, if they're, you know, not included in this kind of stuff right now, but you just never know. Again, depending on what they use, depending on how, um, important these guys are going to be, not just to the offense, but also to special teams, for instance, how big, how big a, uh, contributor that those guys are in that, in that third phase. Right. Who knows? But I think it's going to be 70 to 74.
1: Yeah. Cause I, I know that the travel, there's, uh, oh, non conference games, you can travel more than you can conference games. So maybe that's a question for Jimmy Lake. Um, or Jeff, I think typically uh, the
2: conference games were 70, if I remember correctly. But even if they've opened it up a little bit, uh, you know, I just don't, I don't anticipate Washington's going to go nuts with, you know, bringing a ton of guys, you know, maybe some of the guys that are Bay Area kids, if that makes a difference for them. You know, if they if there's a potential, they get a chance to at least spot their families or do something. That in that way, I could see something like that happening. But overall, I'd, I'd be surprised if they uh, if they really went overboard on their numbers, even if they're allowed.
1: Yeah, and then we take a look at the tailback position on the depth chart that they released, and this is probably the. One with a little bit of a head scratcher, listing Kamari Pleasant at six foot two thirty as the starter, and then Sean McGrew or Richard Newton, Cam Davis not listed. But uh, you know, I, I, this is one of the positions I don't think who's starting really matters because of the uh, packages that they put in, and um, it's not so much who's the starter, but who's going to get the most carries. And I don't think there's anybody who thinks Kamari Pleasant's going to be
0: the leading ball carrier come Saturday. I, I don't yeah, I don't expect that now,
2: I don't but it but again, you know we you know there's not there hasn't been much footage in terms of Washington football's Twitter account and what they release in terms of guys running the ball. Um, but we have seen Kamari Pleasant run for a couple touchdowns when they were doing some of the practices in the Dempsey indoor. So perhaps he's having a, a much better fall than any of us would have anticipated. And to be honest, he's always been a very versatile back. He's a guy that they can utilize, and he's not a bad running back. We've just always been, and, and when I say we, I'm talking about the three of us. I think we've always been higher on Richard Newton and Sean McGrew and, and Cameron Davis, and then obviously with the young guys coming through and in uh, JV on Sunday and Sam Adams. You know, th- there seems to be enough firepower there that again i to to answer your original question kim i i'd be shocked if kamari pleasant ends up with the most carries but we do know that they love they they love to talk about this downhill running this this aggressive running scheme how they want to use bigger backs how they've started to recruit much bigger backs so this might play totally into how Jimmy, Lake's, Jimmy Lake wants the offense to be perceived. And again, this depth chart is as much about perception as it is reality. And he may want everyone to think they're going to throw out the 230 pound back, uh, right away, much like Cal would run Chris Brown and then kind of, you know, soften the defense up so then they can bring the other guys to, to continue to pound and, and go after him in the later quarters. So we'll see
1: we have got three wide receiver positions listed with Puka Nakua backed up by Jordan Chin, Terrell Bynum backed up by Austin Osborne, and Ty Jones backed up by Jalen McMillan. Anything jump out at you on that, Scott, or any surprises on that? Because I, again, I think that's one of the positions that it just depends on the package they're going to run, who's in the game.
0: Um, Puka Nakua even <clears throat> playing. I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest surprise. Um, the fact that uh, you know the rumors we've heard is that puko was in a boot and and that he he you know wasn't practicing and and maybe they were trying to ease him back in but uh he's listed as the starter i think jordan chin is a little bit of a surprise there too um not because he he hasn't proven some of his worth with his speed and everything like that but i thought Maybe we would see a guy like Romo Dunsey, who we had heard um had had a really really good camp. I thought maybe Marquis Spiker, but he's like Nakua, has you know been rumored to be out and not practicing very much. I like seeing Austin Osborne in there, you know, I think he adds an element of size and physicality, and I just don't think he was used very much last year um for whatever reason that is. And um and I mean how many highlights this camp over the last what four weeks we've seen Ty Jones catch a touchdown pass, I mean that that guy can that guy if he can really be the physical guy at six, four, 200 pounds, he should be a physical presence out there and be able to wall off defensive backs when he goes up and gets the ball if he can be that guy. Washington is going to do really, really well in the red zone and on, you know, jump balls throughout the throughout the season.
1: Chris, anything at the wide receiver position that jumps out at you?
2: Just a, just a couple small things. Just that, again, I thought, you know, this might be a situation where there would be some oars um, because I'm surprised Marcus Spiker isn't listed. If Puka Nakua is listed, why isn't Marcus Spiker? Um, the only reason I think it's it's questionable whether a guy like McCo, we see much of him. We just haven't seen much of him on the on the Twitter feeds. I mean, usually that would be a guy that they would be featuring. They would be highlighting if he was available, if he was ready to go. So again, who knows if this is subterfuge? Who knows if he's done enough? Maybe he's come back and has really set the house on fire and he's ready to go and, and, and all this stuff about potential injury and all that. You know, it could be just a smoke screen. We just we have no idea. Um, the other um, one is again, I think to echo Scott what he said about Roma Dunze. Not surprised that Jalen McMillan's listed. I am a little surprised that Roma Dunze is not listed, considering how even even Junior Adams and some of these guys who who haven't necessarily um, wanted to single out people. I mean, the coaches have really gone out of their way not to want to single out people if given a general question about their group. Um, Even then, guys were talking about Rome and how big a fall that he was was (sighs) having. So I'm a little surprised that he's not included.
1: Yeah, he's that guy that – he's one of the ones that maybe Jimmy's hiding a little bit, you know. Justin Wilcox going, okay, who's that? He may be that guy, so – We'll see. But, um, hey, a quick word from our sponsors, and when we return, we'll go over the defensive side of the uh, depth chart. Also, we'll touch bases with Scott a little bit on some recruiting updates, one of Washington's commitment suffering it looks like a um, season-ending injury. We'll update that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Welcome back. It's the guys from Dogman.com. I'm Kim Greenolds along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. We ran down the entire side of the offensive side of the ball, except the quarterbacks. But, uh, hey, Scott, I, I, I'm a big believer in the first play of the game. They're not going to have a quarterback out there and still mess with us and just run the, uh, run the wildcat. But, uh, uh, let's get to the quarterbacks. I'm sure you guys were wondering what happened and yeah, I kind of spaced out. But anyways, the quarterback situation, they pretty much listed the depth chart in alphabetical orders with Ethan Garbers, Dylan Morris, Jacob Sermon, and then Kevin Thompson. And credit to Chris Fedders, he was the one who talked about that last week in our podcast that they would be listed alphabetically, and uh, he was correct. Chris, the savant, the Kreskin of Dogman.com, uh, who's going to be the starting quarterback?
2: Well, I have I have a, I have another theory now. I mean, yeah, I mean. We could see this going in any number of ways. We could have done, you know, because you could do it alphabetically, and then crazy enough, it's also it's also being done by class, because Garbers is the freshman, Morris is the redshirt freshman, Sermon's the sophomore, Thompson's the grad student. I mean, it's it it's weird that way. I think now my my personal theory on this now, and this is my little uh, this is my little uh, conspiracy theory, is that. He did it so that uh, the Garbers family could now have a framed portrait of the Husky depth chart next to the Cal depth chart. And now you can have both Garbers right at the top. And this will be their little memento that they'll have for, for generations to come. And they can always say, well, look, it was, it was like, uh, it was the brothers playing against each other, which I don't think is going to happen. But until we actually see, who uh lines up under center at uh, approximately 7:34 p.m. according to Jimmy Lake on Saturday night or, or give or take. Um we'll see, but I I think the chances of it being Ethan Garbers are probably the slimmest of the four. Uh, in fact, I think he's probably done it in reverse order in what I would probably assume other than the Morris and Sermon thing is very interesting. I think right now if I was to to horse race those four i'd go thompson morris sermon garbers with thompson and morris really neck and neck like one and one a but that's that's how i would kind of handicap it at this point just not knowing anything at all about anything
0: scott uh my my starter is I've gone back and forth. I made a prediction in my ten bold predictions that Kevin Thompson is going to be the guy, and I I'm going to hold true to that, even though I, after, t- uh, you know, putting that out there, then I hear that Dylan Morris is the guy. So I don't know. We'll we'll just have to see. I'm I'm sticking with Kevin Thompson right now.
1: I hear a lot of stuff. I Get a lot of calls, and uh, sometimes it's difficult to uh, figure out what's. Uh, being embellished what's true what is uh just flat out wrong ethan Garbers, i've heard has had a nice camp i got a call from a booster earlier uh, a couple days ago saying that dylan morris will be the starter not sure what to take of that jacob sermon uh, flashes and then uh, kevin thompson seems to be the wild card and boy, i hope i'm not causing too much of a storm by saying this but uh about two, three weeks ago, I heard that Sac State was a little bit late on releasing Kevin Thompson from his uh, transfer, which doesn't make a lot of sense since he's a fifth-year guy, and uh, Sac State's not even playing football this year, and the head coach at uh, Sac State is Jake Browning's former head coach. But last I talked to him, said, yeah, that's not a concern, and that's all cleared up, but I got a, I mean, a gun in my head. I think it's Kevin Tom. Uh, second choice would be Dylan Morris and, uh, don't know. I mean, it's been really difficult because we haven't been able to see any, uh, practices. The information that's being leaked out is information that the coaches want leaked out. So I think that, uh, and a quarterback finally enters the game and takes a first snap, but up until that point, It's anybody's guess, so we'll wait and see. So that would be the big question. But uh, let's go ahead and get over to the defensive side of the ball.
2: I Uh, I haven't gotten a chance chance to to, uh, talk about my my newest newest quarterback conspiracy theory. Oh,
1: God, this ought to be good.
2: No, it's great. No, because it goes back to uh, the the Twitter video that Washington football put out with Asa Turner getting three picks, and they were three interceptions against Kevin Thompson, Jacob Sermon, and Dylan Morris. So, by process of elimination, I think that's why they put Ethan Garber's at the top of the list.
0: Okay, okay <laughs> hey, I
2: think it I think it's I think it has solid foundation. I think there's evidence. you've got video evidence, so that's what I'm gonna go with.
1: How about Sam Hewart coming in early?
2: Yeah, he's not listed on the depth, so that would be quite a that would be quite a stunning <laughs> re- revelation. And he's not even listed on Go Huskies, so yeah, yeah that would be um, that would be the shock of all shocks. But again, and I like flip. your I like your personal conspiracy theory, Kim, of them coming out in um, in Wildcat. I think that could also be a very uh, solid play in Vegas if you're looking for a prop bet. I there
0: think you that go. Was hysterical.
1: Was <laughs> well, just like when we went to the first 20 minute so called practice that we were allowed to go to. And they really weren't doing anything and they lined up all the quarterbacks and they all did the mirror drill. So they all took the first snap and that they did the entire 20 minutes we were there. So, um, Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy likes to mess with us a little bit, but. Uh, and again, I think
2: that, over- that could be, that could be Kamari Pleasant coming out and saying, guys, I can do the running. I can do the Wildcat. Don't, <sighs> don't take what I did against Oregon as, as the be all and end all of my skills. I, I can show you guys I'm bigger, faster, stronger. I can make this happen. So this this you know we might be onto something here. We'll see.
1: Getting over the defensive side of the ball, we'll go ahead and start at outside linebacker, where the senior, the veteran Ryan Bowman, six foot two eighty, is listed as the uh, starting outside linebacker, with Zion Tupatola Fatui as the backup. Tuli uh, Tuli 6'2", 305, which is lighter than we've seen him listed in a long time. At uh, the defensive line with Sam Taimani as his backup. Uh, the veteran, the, uh, former walk-on from Kentwood High School, Joe Bro- Josiah Bronson, with fa fa o tuitele listed as the backup, and then, uh, the outside, another outside linebacker, Liatu Latu, more of a defensive end, uh, with Savelle Smalls, uh, a little bit of a surprise as backup. So, uh, let's break those guys down a little bit. Ryan Bowman, not a surprise, he's probably gonna play the most stap- Snaps on the defensive end uh, just those first four positions guys let's talk about those a little bit uh, uh Sam Taimani not being as a starter again is this something Scott where these guys don't really matter it's more of the packages and the defense that they're going to be playing
0: well definitely and the way they they run their defense Washington usually just rotates four to six guys in there along the defensive line um, that those interior spots um and uh, I, I really like the fact that Thule is going to be able to hopefully play the three tech and Josiah Bronson will play the nose. Um, and then you throw in Latu and Bow- Bowman. I, you know, when, when, uh, uh, Joe Tryon opted to prepare for the NFL draft instead of playing this season, I was, I said to myself, well, this is the time when Leatu Latu really has to step up. He's 6'4", 265. Roughly the same size as Joe Tryon, a lot of the same skill set um, and maybe not the Adonis like physique that uh Joe Tryon had, but uh, definitely a guy that um, can get it done. And that's what I really want to see. But I've I've been hearing really good things about Savelle Smalls and how he's done this the, you know, the, these last four weeks at camp and, and how his how he's worked and what he's worked on and how he's lifted, and, and he's just become a monster. He's 6'3", 250 now, and uh, they're ready to unleash him. And he was one of the guys I predicted in my 10 bold predictions. He and Leatu Latu, I said, would get be guys who would combine for 12 sacks, six plus each. And, uh, I, I think those guys, um, are poised to do something pretty special. Washington needs a really good pass rush this year. Um, and if they can do that, they'll be in a top two or three defenses in the nation if they can get some sacks because that defensive secondary, that secondary that they, that they're going to throw out on the field is going to be really, really good. And these guys like to pick the ball off. And if they can get some early pressure on the quarterbacks, some quick pressure, some get those quarterbacks off their spot, Washington has a chance to pick off a ton of passes this year.
1: And, Chris, one of the guys that jumps out at me that uh, had a lot of playing time last year and just hits like a freight train, uh, Zion Tupola-Fatui, is a guy that I'm really high on, listed at 6'3", 280 in the backup to Ryan Bowman.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's a guy that, that, that if you wanted to list a, a guy who could be a breakout star, In 2020 on that defense, he would be right up near the top of the list. Um, there's absolutely no changes that I would have seen if I had put together the depth chart. Um, in terms of that front four with the, with the two inside linemen and, and the two outside linebackers, I think they're, they're exactly how I would have put them. Only little, uh, the only surprise, and I guess this would be another one where I thought there might be an or with Fatui Tuatele. And Jacob Bandis, for instance, I had heard really good things about how Bandis had, had evolved and was doing some really nice things in camp. So I was wondering if he might have tried to push for that front four. But no surprise um, with Tui, with uh, he, he is he is a guy that is arguably considered the best, one of the best, if not the best, defensive player to ever come out of the high school ranks in Hawaii. He's in the Hall of Fame already, um, which is crazy to think about. Um he came in with that much kind of fanfare and it was that big of a deal when he when he signed with Washington. So it, it should come as no surprise that he's already pushed his way into the two deeps uh as a redshirt freshman. And um I kinda wondered who the guy would have been that would have been paired with Josiah Bronson now that Levi Anzarique is gone. Um my pick was Thule. I thought that was gonna be the one that was gonna make the move over uh Taki Taimani. Um, but don't be surprised to see Tuli and Taki uh, as a pair um, playing a lot this year. I think there's just a lot to like about that group. They have uh, kind of come up in the ranks together, so um, I think the I think those guys will will do very very well inside. And again, you, you talked about Savell being a little bit of a surprise, Kim. I find that to be no surprise. He's a five star kid, All American. Uh, he's come in with a lot of fanfare, a lot of expectation. So there's, there's definitely some, some things on his shoulders in terms of carrying a little bit of a load that he needs to show that he's capable. And, um, but again, no surprise that he's come out of the, come out of the shoots. Right. Um, running because I think he's got a guy, he's a guy with enormous potential.
1: And, Scott, when I talk about Savelle Smalls, I just kind of wonder. I remember talking to Travis Feeney when he talked about being a freshman where he said, yeah, I had no clue what I was doing. They just put me in and told me to go chase the quarterback. Is that what Savelle Smalls is going to do, or has he got a little bit more in his game than that well, at this I mean, point?
0: The, what Washington likes to do with their outside linebackers is they want to get pressure off the edge, but it depends on the alignment and who who's going to go and who isn't going to go, and he's going to have to play in space a little bit too which is something that he didn't do a lot of as a junior, uh as a senior this past season for um for uh Kennedy but um you know he had done that a little bit as a freshman and sophomore and so I'm real interested to see how he plays in reverse and plays in space, but there is no question in my mind that when they get in passing downs, I think they're going to put Latu on one side, and I think they're going to put Savell on the other side, and just say, pin your ears back, guys, and go, go get, get him. him. Go get that quarterback because, like I said, Washington needs to get these teams. They need to stop the run to get teams in third and seven, third and eight, third and nine, or longer and that way they can they can just let those guys loose, because I think Le'Atu Latu and Savelle Smalls just on on sheer just athleticism. They present one of the best pass rush tandems that Washington may ever have had. Um, now they need to go out and get it done. You know, Ryan Bowman is a solid, solid player. He's get you consistent pressure, I think. I think I've counted up he's ha he has like nine or ten sacks in three seasons of being a an outside linebacker at the University of Washington. He's not gonna be a guy who's gonna put up A ton of sacks. He'll get some, he'll get in the backfield a little bit. He'll stop the run and, and he'll, he'll get some pressure on the quarterback every now and then. But for the most part, that guy is not a guy you're going to be able to count on to get after the quarterback. Savelle Smalls and Layatu, Latu, however, and Zion Tupatola Fatui, those guys are pass rush supreme. And you got to get those, get those guys on the field when it's, when it's, uh, I, I mean, would it surprise either of you if, Zion was like the interior pass rusher, and you had Savell and Leatu as your outside guys on passing downs, like third and 15 or more? No. Because, I think that
1: guy is Ryan Bowman. I think, you know, they've talked about him bulking up to two. He can play inside because that's his future. and I can see him being that inside guy when they're playing and pressure on him. Yeah, sorry about that. No, I just see that uh, Ryan Bowman, they've talked about him being the guy. Yeah that uh, has added the weight so he could play inside and then, you know, going to the next level. So I think Ryan Bowman inside of when the package will be, uh, could be very inside of the pass rush.
2: I don't think, I don't think they're going to, even though they're going to teach Savell all the things that he needs to know about the position, I don't think when he actually literally gets on the field and is asked to go do something, I think he's going to go be asked to go kill the quarterback. I don't think he's going to be asked to go identify guys and go out and cover running backs and do all that. I just don't see that being something that they put on his plate right now, even though they're going to be teaching him all of those things. I don't think the the practical reality of it is when he goes in there, he's going to be asked to do one thing, and that's to create havoc and get after the quarterback. That's the way I see it.
1: Jackson Sermon listed as a starter. Of course, he is the son of defensive coordinator at Cal Peter Sermon that is back. Local kid from Federal Way, the red shirt freshman, Alfonso Tupitola. Uh Eddie uh, Uffoci listed as the starting linebacker as well. With MJ Tafisi as the backup, a little bit surprised there. I didn't see an or with Wooly uh, listed. Talk a little bit about those two guys, Chris. Those four guys actually, five guys. Uh,
2: again, absolutely no. Um, you know, no, this would have been exactly how I would have identified them. And that goes to Bob Gregory, who gets a big thank you from the media for laying out exactly where the mics are, are listed and where the wills are listed. Um, you know, Eddie Uf- Ulofosio and MJ Tafisi are the guys that are going to be the sideline-to-sideline side guys. They're going to be asked to do the Ben hervin style role, the Azeem Victor-style role, um, with Jackson Sermon and, and Tupatala being more of those guys are going to stay inside and lay the hammer. Um, they're going to fill gaps. They're going to fit runs they're gonna be those they're gonna be asked to do those kind of bigger guy roles. So, um, this is exactly how I would have seen it lined up. Tupatala is the one true freshman that uh played four games last year. So he already had a a head up over guys like Daniel Haymouly, as well as the guys that were hurt, like Jackson uh like Josh Calvert and uh Mickey Ayu, who were um, you know, either recovering from the injury or were rehabbing the injury. So um this doesn't surprise me at all. This this kind of lays out exactly, uh, once we talked to Bob Gregory, this is exactly how I would have expected it to be.
1: Take a look at the defensive backs. Washington's standard defensive package is the nickel package with five defensive backs on the field with two safeties and three corners, two outside and one in the slot. I think the biggest surprise there is that safety Alex Cook listed as a starter, the converted wide receiver. Julius Irvin is the backup. Asa Turner listed as the starter with Cameron Williams is the backup. Keith on one side with Dominic Hampton at 220 pounds, backing up the other. The uh, star factor with Trent McDuffie, backed up by Kyler Gordon. And then, of course, Elijah Molden with Cameron Fabi-Kulana. Um, what jumps out at you on those positions, Scott?
0: Well, I think Alex Cook uh, getting the start. Um not because I don't think that he's a good player. I actually had heard from many people that they made a mistake by bringing him in as a wide receiver. They thought he could be a really, really good safety when he came in. And, you know, it's taken a couple years, but uh he's finally there. He he played safety last year. He got in for a little bit. I don't think it surprises me that he's in the depth. It just surprises me that he's the starter. I thought maybe Brandon McKinney. I thought maybe Cam Williams might be the starter. And alongside, I I thought... Asa Turner was going to be one of your starters, but I thought maybe a guy like Cam Williams or Brandon McKinney would be in there. The fact that Brandon McKinney isn't even in the depth chart either. One is a surprise to me because a Washington has a lot of depth there and uh, they have a lot of really good talented players. And I really want to believe that's the reason why he's not on there, but also B I I just thought that he was a guy who, you know, had a, had the ability to be a really good safety in Washington system and he's not even listed in the depth so that's kind of kind of a little bit of a surprise for me I think <coughs> excuse me the other surprise was maybe Kyler <coughs> excuse me Kyler Gordon at uh outside corner instead of in the slot behind Cam uh elijah molden so um you know Dominic campton six foot or six two two twenty that that doesn't I'm sorry, man. I got something in my throat, but um, it doesn't surprise me that he's playing. But maybe six-two-two-twenty. I I said it before in another podcast. I, I have a real hard time believing that a, a corner can play at six-two-two-twenty. But we'll just have to see how he moves. Obviously, the coaches have seen him run around and what he can do. And um, but yeah, that that's kind of where I stand on the secondary. Really good, really deep group of guys.
1: Chris, when we talk about the nickel being their base defense with five defensive backs, they also play quite a bit of dime and throw in that six guy. Is Kyler Gordon that six guy?
2: Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. I think one, one thing that we have to let the fans know that aren't looking at the depth chart right now and they're just listening to us talk about it, these guys aren't listed as safety, corners, and nickels. They're all listed as defensive backs. Every single one of the five positions are listed as D B. That's it. So the only reason we know that they're safety corner or nickel, or at least expected to be, is because of how we saw them last year, how we, you know, how we kind of know how they've grown up in the system. So, you know, to be honest with you, even though Cam Fabi Kalanin is behind Elijah Molden at D B, who's to say that Kyler Gordon couldn't be behind him? Who's to say Dominic Campton couldn't be behind him? Who's to say Julius Irving couldn't be behind him? This is where I think, you know, you got five DBs listed. It's a shell game. I mean, it the there's ten guys listed. These are the ten DBs I would have expected to be listed. Brandon McKinney not in there is a is a big or that I would have been pretty shocked. I would have I would have thought he would have been an or. Like I would have thought, you know, Asa Turner and Cameron Williams would have been listed as the ones with Alex Cook, Julius Irvin, and Brandon McKinney listed there underneath as ores. So again, shell game. You can kind of stick these guys in, in different places on the depth chart anywhere you want. These are all guys that are going to play. Um, could I see Alex Cook take a, a snap, the first snap, as a as a safety, for instance? Sure. I, I don't think I don't think there's any reason why he couldn't. We know he's a big athlete. I think I said for years, even watching his tape. Um, that even though he came in as a receiver and I thought he could do good things as a receiver, I really thought his tape showed a guy that came in with a defensive mindset and played the game with a defensive mentality. You could see the way that he hit on his high school tape. It was, he was a vicious dude. So I think there's a lot of people that would be really excited to see what Alex Cook brings to the table as far as being one of those safeties. And then everyone wants to see Julius Irvin succeed. They know he came in with a lot of fanfare picked Washington over teams like Alabama for instance, um, but just hasn't been able to really show it, been been dinged up. Um, but now it sounds like he's had a, a full fall where he's been healthy, he's been a contributor, uh, we know he can do some things on special teams, so I'm not surprised at all that he's in the depth. And then obviously you've got the two uh, guys that are the true sophomore uh, starters from last year, in, in Asa Turner and Cameron Williams. I think both those guys, again, if if I was a guy placing a prop bet in Vegas and someone was asking me who the starting safeties are going to be at Cal, I'd put Asa Turner and Cameron Williams. That, that w- those would have been my guys. But, again, seeing Alex Cook in there, Julius Irvin in there, not, not surprised. But, again, y- you can put these guys in any order you want. Um, outside of Alex Cook, uh, being in front of a guy like Cameron Williams, for instance, I think all the rest of the starters make total sense. I mean, they were basically the starters last year. Um, so it's all the guys underneath and where you put them. Um, the, the, and you go back to to answer your original question, Kim, about Kyler Gordon. I mean, you've got to put him out there. I mean, he is too good to not ha- have him be one of your top five defensive backs. I'm sorry, but I just you see all the things that he does. You see his freakish athleticism. You see his like 40, you know, 40 inch plus vertical. You just see what he was able to do when he was at Archbishop Murphy. I mean, being so versatile. Um, he's just a guy that has been patiently biding his time. And it he's got to go. I mean, how he is not a starter right now is crazy to me. So I would place bets on having him be one of the top five defensive backs when Washington takes the field on Saturday night. I just don't see how they're going to deny him at this point.
1: And, Scott, I think that uh, we could also see on third and long, second and long, we could call it. I'm going to call it the Apple Cup defense. Is rush three, drop eight, and all of a sudden your safeties become linebackers, your defensive backs become safeties, and you can go to that bench and bring a lot of guys in. But uh, I'm kind of excited to see. I'm going to call it the Apple Cup defense or the Mike Leach killer. So um I think that's going to happen as well because they like those safeties to be able to move up to the line of scrimmage as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I don't disagree. I think. So, he, he, well, go <laughs> ahead. Hold on a
2: second. Well, I just I'm just curious. So when you say the Apple Cup defense, Kim, I, I I get what you're saying in concept, but are we also talking about how the front was used on how Jimmy Lake took all the guys out of the middle and put them all to the side and the front, so that there was literally no one in the box between the two guards and the in the center.
1: I call that the middle finger defense, because that's pretty much what it was, and it worked really well. But uh, okay.
2: Well, I just, I just wondered, because if you're going to take the Apple Cup defense, are you taking all of it, or are you just taking the back end? Oh, just, you know,
1: what, like I said, you know, and that seems to be proven really well over in the SEC, Mike Leach, is the, you know, rush three and drop eight, but you know washington's definitely got three guys i mean eight guys on the depth chart that you could drop into that type of defense that you're really comfortable with out there they're all really good players there's so much depth
2: back there well you talk about you know scott talked about Dominic Campton how he's skeptical about him playing corner or what have you i get it and obviously the size is 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 the leading indicator of what you're thinking um you know he's the prime example of being a Swiss army knife guy that could easily come down into the box when you want another guy that can rush the quarterback or can do you know because we saw Miles Bryant was that guy who just wreaked havoc in terms of coming at from any corner any angle off the edge um to try to you know create pressure an additional pressure or a yeah, different but, pressure when they were zone blitzing for instance but, but you, well, you know, know he what could be that guy, it, Molden can be that guy. There's all sorts of different uh, qualities that that these defensive backs bring. Alex Cook could be one of those guys. Julius Irving could be one of those guys.
1: But, you know, everybody in the NFL is looking for that uh, safety or that defensive back because the tight ends become such an important position, and that's one of the things with the Seahawks, getting Jamal Adams. You know, a lot of people said that they got him specifically because of George Kittle. Uh, those tight ends like, uh, you know, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, you need – those big safeties that are going to be able to cover those guys. And is that Dominic and Is that Asa Turner? Cause those guys are both pretty, pretty big and pretty physical. So, um, you know,
2: but how does that, tra- uh, how does that translate to the PAC 12? I mean, who, who are, who are, who are, if you're taking that example, who are you trying to cover then in the PAC 12 that would be considered a threat? Are you talking about them covering tight ends in that way? Are there, are there tight ends in the PAC 12 that have created mismatches in the past that we're, that we're talking about here?
1: Stanford always seems to have three.
2: Right. Outside of Stanford, (laughs) is there anybody else? I mean, I know SC tries to run some tight ends even in their air raid style concepts, but –
1: yeah we'll see but uh you know the defensive backfield is obviously loaded and one of the things that um you know really interested in seeing you know especially on uh, special teams listing is uh the place kicker Peyton Henry who's uh done a really great job uh, awarded a scholarship former walk-on with Tim Horn out of Hawaii I'm expecting Tim Horn still to um cover the kickoff duties race porter the punter and then uh Kickoff returners, Sean McGrew or Kyler Gordon. Le- really excited to see what Kyler Gordon could do back there. And uh, punt returner, Trent McDuffie, which is kind of exciting. And the long snapper, Jaden Green. Heard nothing but great things about Jaden Green. 5'10", 205, a little bit on the smaller side, but evidently he's got a cannon back there on deep snapping. And holder, of course, Race Porter. But, uh, you know, with kicking specialist first, Peyton Henry, Race Porter, um any surprises there from either one of you guys?
2: Yeah, I I think um you know, no Tristan Brown listed, you know, the JC guy that came in specifically to punt. Um I think this is obviously a nod because Race Porter's done such a great job, is on scholarship now. Um they clearly like what he brings to the table. He's a phenomenal all-around special teams guy. Um so I'm not I'm little surprised it's not a, Peyton, a Race Porter or Tristan Brown, so that's surprising a little bit. The, the return guys, no surprise when they started talking about things. McGrew is, is a, is a, is an established guy back there. We know what he can do as a return guy, uh, kick return, but Kyler Gordon is the X factor and they've been talking about him this fall. They talked about, even they talked about Roma Dunze, uh, as being a potential return guy, which I thought was intriguing. Trent McDuffie, punt return, um, not super surprised, although I thought maybe Kyler Gordon would also be a guy that could be an or here. As well, um, but very excited to see those guys. I'm also very excited to see Jaden Green what he can do. You know, think nowadays you don't have to be 250 pounds to be the long snapper because they can't touch you. I mean, they, it's a penalty, so they can't they can't bowl you over. So they get pretty much free reign. And and these guys who are specialists now, it's gonna be very very exciting to see what he does on his first long snap to see if he kind of gets those jitters out of the way. But again. Uh, to kind of echo what you were saying, to him, heard nothing but great things about him. Bob Gregory raving about him already, um, for what he's done. So right now, I think the specialists, um, uh, have really shaped up to be a, a real strength of this team. Whereas even as early as last year, or whatever, there were some, some question marks when you were moving from a guy like Dante Pettis, who was setting NCAA records to a guy um, like Aaron Fuller at the return situation, they never really seem to have a guy, um, who could return kicks and be a real factor in that area. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see if they have any guys that can break some big kick returns. Obviously they, you know, we know that they've done it in the punt return recently with Dante Pettis. Can McDuffie, um, I, I don't think anybody's ever going to recreate what Dante Pettis has ever done, but can he be a guy that might be able to explode to get one or, uh, one or two, we'll see what happens. And, you know, even Fuller had one last year against BYU. So, um, the special teams is, is a strength that I think it will continue to be a strength. I,
0: I gotta say, the, the best part of camp, we didn't get to really watch anything, didn't get to get, do many interviews, but I think the best moment was when, uh, I think it was Tony Castricone asked about in green. And, and Gregory goes, that's great. I don't know if I've ever gotten a long snapper question. <laughs> was it, was it Gregory
2: or was it Lake? I can't remember who. It was Gregory. It was Gregory.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to take one more quick break. And when we return, you know, word from our sponsor when we return. Husky commit broken leg or fractured leg. I'm not sure the difference. But it uh, looks like he will be out for the season and we will touch bases with recruiting when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. We're back. It's the guys from Dogman.com. I'm Kim Grinnells along with Chris Fetters and, uh, touch bases with Scott Eklund on recruiting. Um, a little bit of bad news from, uh, Husky commit the running back, Caleb Barry out of Texas. Scott, uh, update us on what's going on with Caleb Barry.
0: Well, he went down with a, uh, injury in the second drive of his game on Friday night against, um, and they, they won, I think it was New Caney, I think is what the name of the high school that they were playing. And uh, they ended up winning 13-7 to in overtime, but a big reason why they had to go to overtime was because they didn't have Caleb Berry, because in the second series, he goes down with a fracture in his right fibula, and, um, and he didn't play, obviously, the rest of the game. I talked to him on Monday, and he told me, basically, hey, um, it's a fracture. I could return in a couple weeks, but um, I only have a few games left in the regular season, and I don't want to put too much pressure on myself and, and rush back just so I can get in and play the the playoffs as much as I want to. So he said he was pretty darn sure he wasn't a hundred percent sure, but he said he was pretty sure that after talking to his mom, talking to his coaches, talking to coach uh, Bonifa, that um, he's probably going to just shut it down and start getting ready for his college football career. And he'll be on the sidelines rooting his teammates on and his friends. So um, yeah, unfortunately uh, we're not gonna get to see much more of him, if at all, the rest of the year. And um and the ironic thing is he and Void Tanufi, the defensive tackle commit out of Utah, were the only two guys playing and uh Caleb Berry got hurt, so he's done playing, and Void Tanufi's team had a buy or got a forfeit last week. I'm assuming there was an out uh COVID outbreak for a team that made the playoffs and uh, they weren't able to play. So they got a forfeit last week, and he won't play. He'll play this weekend. I guess the team, uh, American Fork, that they got their butts kicked by. So um, it'll be uh, interesting to just continue to do that in the spring is when we'll have all the other the other guys that we'll be able to follow, follow for their senior year.
1: Anything else to follow up for Scott? Anything to add?
0: No, not a lot. Um, I mean, we, we're – pretty much down to two, maybe three guys. If you include Logan Fano, the defensive end out of Timp View, um, he's going to be a Mormon mission guy. And right now I think Utah is probably his landing spot, but uh, Washington's still in the mix a little bit for him. Um, Some people have asked about Apu Ika, the defensive lineman out of Utah. He played at East High School, signed with uh, LSU, and uh, played there as a freshman last year, but some uh, schematic changes have made it so that uh, he isn't going to be used as much or in the same way that he was used before. And so he has entered the transfer portal. And I've had a lot of people asking me, I'm um, not only on the board, but also offline and text messages from friends and and a DM and Twitter and all that different stuff, if. Washington is going to be a player for him and I've, I've made some calls. I've, I've sent some texts. I've, I've done some digging and it sounds like Washington is at least going to kick the tires on him, see what's up, see where he's at as far as being able to transfer and things like that. But I don't expect Washington to be heavy players for him. I just think that that room is pretty darn full and I don't think there's going to be room for a guy like, uh, Apuika, but we'll just have to wait and see because I know that He's a guy that they really wanted during the recruiting cycle. If it if it came down, I heard that if it came down to Apu Ika and maybe a couple of the other guys, I think Fautui Tuatelli was in there, I think Washington would have taken, if you, they could have only taken one, Apu Ika would have been the guy they would have taken. So um, we'll just see how, how interested they are. But there's a lot that goes into it, especially the University of Washington. Just, oh. He's a great player. Let's bring him in. That's just not how the University of Washington works. So Washington will have to see if he's on pace to graduate and he's taken the right classes and done all those different things. If that checks out and he shows interest in Washington, then maybe they get in the mix. But my personal opinion is he ends up at Utah, Oregon, or ASU if he comes back to the Pac-12.
1: Nothing else really going on in oh. or um, why am I spacing?
0: Uh, JT, do it. Wow.
1: And nothing really new with those guys and that's just pretty much on uh, cruise control right now. Is that, is that a fair statement?
0: Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, they're, they're maintaining the guys that they're talking to and I think they're still talking to a few guys that, uh, could be potential flips later in, uh, later in the process if if things don't work out or if a guy blows out a knee or something like that. But, uh, Right now, I don't think Washington is really, uh, concentrating on 2021. I think they're, uh, other than their, their top two guys, maybe three guys with Logan Fano, I think you're, you're, they're, they've basically moved on to 2022. And from what I've heard from a wide receiver standpoint, they're actually kind of turning their focus to 2023 because Jeremy Bernard's in the boat. And uh, they've only got one or two other guys that they'd really take at wide receiver at this point in time. That could change, obviously. Lots of things change in recruiting. But right now, it wouldn't surprise me if Jeremy Bernard is the only wide receiver they take in the 2022 class.
1: Wrapping up, Chris, anything we missed? Anything you want to add?
2: No, I'm good. I mean, I think we've run well past overtime on this thing. So, uh, you yeah, know, I'm good. All right. Scott,
1: anything we missed? Anything you want to add?
0: Well, unfortunately, there were no North Carolina recruits for me to go view. Um, I would have done that because I'm actually in North Carolina right now. So uh, I'll be home uh, Wednesday night and ready to go, man. I'm looking forward to Saturday when we get to actually watch some Pac-12 football.
1: Just a reminder, looking for those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts. Shoot us a uh Quick note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will get you hooked up. Again, the daily updates and breaking news alerts, Stadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. For those who don't subscribe, no better time than now. Football is about to start, and uh, we've just been kind of on just really just raring to go. So Saturday's our first chance to really get going on this thing, and nobody will have it covered better than the guys from dogman.com. We appreciate all of you guys. So um, we will have a little more content. We will have another podcast ready for you on Saturday morning. We'll have a podcast ready for you on Friday with an opposition preview with the guy from Cal. So tuned here at dogman.com and for all of us here at dogman.com, I'm Kim Scott
0: Eklund. Go no Dogs.